Well, good morning, Salt City Church. Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve to you all. Uh, hopefully you have big plans for your Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, Eve. Um, but we are going to be continuing this morning in our series um, called God With Us, where we're going to be looking at the incarnation of God himself. And so we're going to be looking at one of the more common stories of the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, feel free to open to that. Um, and this story, I, I love it because it is the story of God's grand entrance into this world. And if we think about our day-to-day People try to make these announcements in the most grand way possible. So if you think about LeBron James with the decision, you know, pulling everyone in to find out where is he going to go, or you think about a royal wedding where everyone is tuning in on the TV to figure out what is happening. And so the morning, this morning, we asked the question, how did Jesus choose to enter into this world? How did he announce this to the rest of the world? And so... Obviously, the story starts out with a couple, Mary and Joseph, who come from poor upbringings and live in the outskirts of the city. And so I tried to look up a small town equal distance um, to the Twin Cities, and I found one called Bird Island. Uh, is anyone in here from Bird Island? Okay, good. Well, that's, that's good. So because there's a quote in, uh, in one of the Gospels when looking at the town of Nazareth that Mary and Joseph came from where it says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And so I didn't want to jab anyone from Bird Island, but it's this small town outside of the big city that this couple is in, and they're engaged, and God approaches Mary in Luke 1 and says, you are going to have a child, and he will be the son of the Most High. And so Mary's response, obviously, is, okay, God, like, how is this going to happen? you know, I'm a virgin, how, that, that's not how these things work. How am I going to have a child? And so he tells her that the, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and impregnate her with this child. And then I'm trying to imagine, that had to be an extremely difficult first conversation with Joseph. Like, hey, Joseph, so I'm pregnant, nothing happened, but God came to me. But luckily an angel came to Joseph too, cleared up the waters a little bit, told him what was gonna happen. But then I try to imagine Mary and Joseph, as this couple, this engaged couple in this small town of Nazareth, and what their peers are probably thinking about them. Probably like they're not able to explain it to everyone in their town, like, hey, I know we're not married yet, and Mary is obviously pregnant with a child. And so there's probably this backlash that is coming upon this couple, and out of this couple from an insignificant little town of Nazareth is where God chooses to bring Jesus into the world. And so we're going to look at our first point, which is born in humility. And let's go ahead and read Luke 2, verse 1 together. So it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. 
And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So what's happening in this scene? He's talking about this registration and out of all of what he wrote in the book of Luke, he, he chose to zone in on this one right here. And so simply put, Mary and Joseph are traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but there's actually two causes to why they were doing this. The first, that Caesar Augustus, the most powerful man in the world, made a decree that everyone should come and be registered. And so what that meant is that they would travel to the land of their lineage, and they would register to find out how much I'm going to be taxed. And so simply put, this was the, the power of Rome that was heavily taxing Jews. And so they were out of the house of David Mary and Joseph, and so they had to go to Bethlehem to be registered, and this law was established at a very specific time, and they went because they were forced by Rome. That's one cause for why they ended up going to Bethlehem, but there's also another cause for this, because if we look at a text like Micah 5.2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem of Phathra, Ephratha, we'll go with, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. And so we see that this was a prophecy from God, that this child would be born in Bethlehem. And so God in his great providence went to the most powerful man in the world and caused him to create a decree that would cause all of the world to go and to be registered. Where he could have just found some lady who was in Bethlehem already and worked that through. No, he, he chose Joseph and Mary and he orchestrated this whole plan in order to get them to Bethlehem in order that the prophecy might be fulfilled. And I want to spend a little bit more time coloring in this story that we see that is laid out in Luke because we see that there's this engaged, poor couple who is probably seen as rebellious in the eyes of their peers. Now they are forced to go on a 90-mile journey where, let me remind you, Mary is about eight to nine months pregnant. And so she has to, who is already experiencing the pain and exhaustion of being that far along in the pregnancy, has to hop on a donkey and ride it for 90 miles throughout the hillside in order to get to Bethlehem. And when they get to Bethlehem, imagine that it is an extremely congested, packed city because everyone is coming to be registered. Think Minnesota State Fair which is probably exactly what they wanted to roll in on. Like this place was packed. And it was not only crowded, but it was in one of the most religious cities in the world. And so you had to imagine what was the looks and the gazes that they were getting as they were going through this city as an engaged couple with Mary about to give birth. And when they get there, it's not for this fun trip. It's not for this fun vacation. They're going to figure out how heavily they're going to be taxed by Rome. And so this is not your dream baby moon that they get to go on. Like they have to travel all the way to Bethlehem to figure out how much of us as a poor couple are we gonna have to give to Rome. And while they're there in the midst of all of this craziness, 
in the midst of all this congestion, Mary goes into labor. And so she then begins to panic because this is the first time that she will ever go through this. And obviously for a woman, this is a very big moment in their life. And so she begins to feel the worries and the anxieties. And so they frantically begin looking for a room throughout the town to which they cannot find a single spot because the city is packed with all these people coming in. And so out of an act of desperation... They go into a room where only animals were kept. A room that had a thick aroma of manure. And this is the place where she gave birth to her first son. That she wraps him up in the swaddling cloths and she doesn't want to set him on the cold ground of this kind of basement-like place that they're in, and so she finds a manger, which is a feeding trough for the cows, that she lays him in the hay. And this is the way that our king was brought into the world. And this is not what the the beautiful nativity scenes show. This is not what the children's artistic books show. Like you're reading through some of those books and you're like, look, there's the mommy and the the daddy and the sheep and the cows. And then you stop to think about it and you're like, I can't imagine one mom who wants a cow mooing over her shoulder as she's trying to give birth to a son. But this is the scene that we find them at. And it's, it's interesting to me that God in his great Providence was able to go to the most powerful man in all the world and control that to create a decree to all the world for people to come be registered. God was able to do that, but he couldn't make a reservation at an inn. Like he, he couldn't have called ahead, maybe put their name on the list, but no, it was in his providence that he booked up every spot in Bethlehem as well. Why? This was done with incredible purpose that Mary and Joseph might not have known, but this was done in order to show the incredible humility that Jesus exudes. And this scene is a huge shift from the tabernacle that we saw last week where the presence of God was in a room with the finest gold and the greatest linen and only one man could go into that room one day out of the year and now we find our king in a feeding trough where the only ones that come to surround him are the outcasts and the lowly in society. And this humility that is shown by God that he would enter a world removed from the center of attention. Like he could have come and brought around the greatest kings and priests and powers of that day, but instead he chose to do it in the most insignificant way, removing himself from the center of attention. And when we see that God chose to come down and be brought into this world in a feeding trough, it causes us to ask, what would it look like for us to walk in even a glimpse of that humility? Like, what would it look like for us to go into this Christmas season not at the center of attention of each of our days, but rather, what if we walked into family gatherings not expecting anything from anyone, 
but just going in with a heart ready to serve and to love the people that we gather around? What if instead of sharing all of our stories and taking all of the time sharing with people what we want them to know, what if we were more concerned in asking about the, what is happening in the live of, lives of other people? What if our hearts began to be more concerned with the others that we surround ourselves with than with ourselves? Because we see clearly in the way that Jesus came that he walked out in incredible humility. And when we see that, that, that our God chose to live in that kind of humble state, it removes any opportunity for us to be self-centered ourselves. And so to keep this theme of God surrounding himself with the most unlikely of people, he chooses to announce this incredible birth to the most unlikely of people as well. So let's look at our second point, which is a sign from God. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And this will be a sign for you in a manger. We'll pick up there. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those whom he is pleased. Again, let's try to color in this scene a little bit. Because these shepherds are as well seen as completely outcasts in that society. Like these are shepherds who are constantly spending their time in the field, so they were never able to go into the city and perform all of the religious rituals that the priests were able to do and the people were able to do. So they were separated from that themselves, and they were just seen as filthy as well. So when people looked at shepherds, they always looked down at them. And these shepherds are out in their field having a normal, calm, quiet night. And then something appears to them. And again, I think in a lot of the, the books that we saw growing up, this, this angel that appears to them just seems like this nice, nice cute little angel that's kind of just hovering, kind of doing one of, the, one of these little numbers, just hovering right above them. And you're like, oh, that looks so precious. But it says that the angel of the Lord, that the glory of the Lord shone around them, that it was filling the skies and that they had, their only response was great fear. Like they trembled at seeing this angel in the sky. They were terrified by this incredible scene that just took place. And then after this, it says a multitude. And a heavenly host is seen as an army of angels. 
And so when it says a multitude of heavenly hosts, we're thinking thousands of angels are filling the night sky right before them, singing aloud in unison, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst those whom he is pleased. Can you imagine the terror that you would be feeling in your own heart at that moment? That as far as you can see in the night, it's this army of angels shouting out these words over you. And during this display, this incredible display in the night, the angel of the Lord says, I have a sign for you. And just put yourself there. Like, if you're like, wow, this was the introduction to the sign. Like, this is what they put on to roll up what the sign's gonna be. I can't imagine what the actual sign is gonna be. And so they, they tell him, you're gonna find a baby in a feeding trough. And at first, you're kind of just like, what? Like, <laughs> I've seen a lot of cool babies in my day, but like, it's nothing in comparison to what I just saw in the night sky. Like, that was incredible. How could a baby compare to this at all? And so I was imagining if we were to be going through a tour of the Grand Canyon. Never been, but it looks beautiful. So we have a picture to overlook the Grand Canyon. Um, just imagine that this is the tour that you're getting. As far as you can see, these canyons that are being carved into the earth, and you are just amazed. Just breathtaking. You can't stop taking pictures. And then the tour guide says, if you think this is amazing, wait till you see what I have to show you next. And so then he takes you through this little trail and you can flip up the next picture. He, the, he then shows you these, these piles of rocks. He's like, I've spent so much time stacking up these rocks. And at first you're like, hey, God, that, that's really cool. Like, I'm, I'm glad that you have a sweet hobby with stacking some of these rocks, but it is nothing compared to the Grand Canyon. Like, why did you pull us over here? We're going to go back and see the Grand Canyon because that is far more amazing. And you think that this would be the response that the shepherds have. Like, no, bring back the angels. Let's have the second act of what we just saw go down again. But no, these shepherds take off immediately. Why? Because this baby that was lying in a manger was God. And at this moment, the shepherds realized that God came to the earth in the most real way possible by putting on flesh as an infant. That the one who spoke the world into existence is now only able to utter the cries of an infant. The one who formed the mountains with his hands is able to now fit his in the palm of Mary's. That the one who sat on a royal throne for all of eternity now finds himself robed in the very flesh that he created. Because at the manger, we see what separates Christianity from all other religions. All other religions, you can imagine God being at this, the peak of a mountain and the, the call of the religion is give it everything you got, like climb up to the top to be with God, perform these religious rituals and you will be made right with God. But what God saw when he sent Jesus 
as he saw a story of people, a, a world of people unable to climb that mountain themselves. He saw a world of people who actually didn't even want to climb that mountain himself. They didn't want anything to do with God, so God came down instead. And this changes everything about how we live in our life. That God isn't this angry dad who's looking at, down at us and saying, you better shape up your life or else. That you better turn it around in this next year and knock out all of your resolutions and be more consistent because you need to do these things in order to be right with me. Like God didn't send down a list of prerequisites before he came down to dwell with us. No, God came to dwell with us exactly where we are at. He decided to dwell with us as we are. And so we look at the manger and we see the very heart of God that he wanted to be amongst us in our brokenness and in our sin. And out of the freeing reality that God already chose to dwell with us far before we were even born, we can now joyfully just walk and live in life with him. So in our days ahead, when we wrestle with, is God with me in this moment? Or is, does God want to be in relationship with us? We look to the manger and we find confidence for both of those things. Like how would you begin to live your life differently if you remember that God, who desires to do, that God desires to dwell with you wherever you are at? That he wasn't surprised by our brokenness when he came down and lived on this earth. That he knew everything about our brokenness and chose that he was going to come down and live amongst us and to live the perfect life that we never could ourselves. This was the amazing reality that caused the shepherds to flee the fields to find this child. That God had chosen to come and to be amongst us his people. And so th there they saw this child. They also knew that he was coming with a very specific purpose. Our third point tonight, this morning, got to get out of the salt world, is that this is the gift of peace. That good news of great joy is being brought to you because a savior is being brought into your world this day. That the savior that was spoken about for generation and generations through the prophets is now amongst us. As in Isaiah 9 where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This one who was spoken about through the prophets is finally here to bring peace to the world. And so we think about the different songs that we sing in this Christmas season of like a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. This world that has felt the effects of brokenness, that has felt been exhausted by hardship, devastated by loss, and separation from God, are now able to experience the hope of being back in relationship with God for the very first time. But how are we, broken people, able to experience life with God again? 
Like we looked at the tabernacle and how we couldn't even enter into his presence because he was so holy that we would die on the spot. How are we able to be in relationship with such a holy God? Because we see that in order for Jesus to be the giver of peace, he had to give it up himself. Around this season, I... I continuously grow more and more thankful for my parents as I see my nephews and nieces getting all their new toys and then fighting over the toys that they don't have. And I can't even imagine how annoying of a kid I was. But when I see this, I'm like, okay, why is it so hard for these kids to share with their toys? And it's pretty simple. Like if my brother wanted to share his toy with me, he would have to give up that toy in order for me to be able to play with it. It's a simple concept. So now let's take this simple idea and draw it in order for us to see how are we now able to experience some of the most great celebration and experience peace with God again. Like how are we able to be brought into that? Because Jesus gave it up. That from the moment this baby was born, he was destined to experience hell on a cross. That the whole point of Jesus coming to this earth was to live perfectly the life that we couldn't live with the end result being his own crucifixion. And so he heard these words, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased as he was being brought into the world. And the next time he would hear something similar to this is in Luke 19.38 where it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But instead of it being a multitude of his angels proclaiming this to the world, it was coming off the lips of his very own disciples that were about to betray him. That Jesus in this scene is heading into Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, the very place that would soon demand his death. And this humility of Christ was displayed throughout his life, as we see in Philippians 2, 6 through 8, that though he was, form, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus was born into this world surrounded by the lowly and the outcasts in society like us who were the very people that he came to save. And then he ended his life by being hung up on a cross, which was the very place that we deserve to be because of our brokenness and because of our own sin. And in order for peace to enter into this broken world, In order for us to joyfully sing songs like joy to the world, Christ had to experience the wrath of God, the wrath of his very own father being poured out on him and to take our sin on the cross himself where he experienced the full punishment for our rebellion. Guys, the gospel is not, here are all the things you need to do to be right with God. 
the gospel is look at this amazing story of God coming down to this world because we couldn't make it right with him and live perfectly, died in our place, that we might be given new life in him. And this story that amazes us every year during this Christmas season will cause us to celebrate and to appreciate Jesus all the more. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this quote in one of his Advent series where he says, we cannot approach the manger of Christ, of the Christ child, in the same way we approach the cradle of another child. Rather, when we go to his manger, something happens, and we cannot leave it again unless we have been judged or redeemed. Here we must either collapse or know the mercy of God directed to us. At the manger, we see God engaging with this world with one purpose, that he was coming to be the only way that we could experience peace with God again. And so where we stare at the manger where Jesus laid, knowing this purpose, it forces us to ask, do I want this peace that he offers for me or not? And this is a gift that God freely extends to you. No matter how broken you are, no matter where you're at, he gifts this to you. Like when we're opening gifts this holiday season, we're not going to follow that by saying, okay, how much do I owe you? What do I need to do? What chores should I do in order to earn this back? No, it's like God gifts us relationship with him because Jesus accomplished it fully on the cross. And so now we just have to receive this incredible gift. This season is meant to draw us back to the manger and create awe and celebration every single year. The fact that God chose to enter this world in humility as a baby and then to leave it in humiliation on a cross. But then rejoicing that we know that he rose in glory and now gifts us a relationship with him to where now we can celebrate a peace with God. We can celebrate relationship with him and we can enjoy that with him for all of eternity. Let us dwell on this manger scene and look upon it with all this season. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are amazed at this story that you who crafted the world, that you who created everything, that you would create such a humble way to enter into this world and that we can now be brought back into relationship with you because you chose to do that. God, help us to see just how approachable you are because of the humility that you showed. Help us to see that there's nothing that we need to do to be made right before you on our own, but we get to look to Jesus and say, thank you for coming to this world and dying on a cross that I deserved and gifting me your perfection. Jesus, help us to appreciate that in this season. Help us to look upon you with awe and celebrate who you are. It's in your name we pray, amen.